Welcome to the Orange Crest Community Church Podcast. Our hope is that this weekly podcast provides both encouragement and challenge as you move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Father, thank you for this time. We, we just ask you to focus us, God, here and now. Lord, help me to, uh, to speak from your word the truth that you've revealed to us. Lord, I pray that the things you want to stick, that you'd really bring those things to the surface and lodge those things, Lord, in our hearts and minds so we could move forward uh, in confidence as we trust in you and your word. We ask you to speak now in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, Christmas is in full swing, and uh, ready or not, we're in it. We're deep in it. The sounds and the smells of the season are here all over our city. And I don't know what you are hoping for this Christmas season. I don't know if you've thought about that yet. could just be, well, it's the same Christmas. You know, it's the same things I'm hoping for. You know, get the decorations out, make it look nice. You know, if you're like me, I'm like, i got to drag those decorations out. It seems like it was just a few weeks ago that we did this. And then you got to take them down. And, or or what, what, are you, what are you hoping for? I, for me, I have a cholesterol problem. So one of my hopes has to do with my, my heart. <laughs> I hope to lower my cholesterol. And I'm working at it. And I, I hope that I can do that. I'm hoping to improve my time management. That's another thing. I, I'm also hoping to get more clarity for 2018 as I'm looking ahead and praying about the future for our church and just wanting more clarity on that. And so there's some things, you know, I'm hoping for. Kids this, you know, in this season are, this season is full of anticipation and expectation. As a kid, I was always hoping to get an upgrade on something, you know, shoes or a new bat or some sports equipment, you know. It was kind of a season of, of hoping for something like that. Until I, was eight, until I was 12, when I was 12, my parents moved five hours south in our state. And so all I was hoping for, that Christmas, I think 1988, was uh, friends. I just wanted to make new friends. I wanted to make sure that I could connect in a new town, make friends at the new junior high. And this is often the case when it comes to Christmas. Uh, hope, the things you hope for may have nothing to do with material goods or presents. In fact, you, you might be hoping for some rest in this season. You might be hoping for some relief and stress. Uh, it could be that your, your world has been rocked and you're just looking for something that resembles normal, looking for the new normal. And when we're on a you know, search for hope or search for answers, we start looking all sorts of places. And so one of the interesting things these days is that when we're looking for answers, probably the most common place people turn is the internet, right? This is, this is Google is, is, he tells us all sorts of things, right? He answers our questions. He, he is where most people these days look for answers. And it's always important to, to figure out, can I trust this answer? Can I trust this source? So people are longing to find a trusted source of, a, source of authority. I was reading this article. It was called The Googled Mind. And it talked about how much trust we put in the web. 90% of, of, of our questions are answered online through Google, okay, 90% of the questions you, you know, so Google is, is, you know, crunching the data for us and trying to tell us what the, what the real deal is on life, but sometimes they get it wrong, so uh, to the question, does money buy happiness, uh, Google recently highlighted a, a result that said there is enough scientific evidence to prove that it does, hmm. okay. Thanks, Google. Here's a picture of a, of a screenshot. If you ask a question, nowadays you probably notice there's these highlighted boxes, not just a listing of websites to visit. Now there's an actual answer. 
they sometimes will answer the question. This is called the featured snippet, right? And the answers are presented in a larger type font. There's imagery that goes with these answers, which makes the answer look more official, doesn't it? It's like, oh, you can really trust this. I mean, let's, you don't need to show your hands, but sometimes we just think, I, I need to know the answer, so I'll Google it. We often don't trace that, you know, what's the sources of these answers that I'm getting? Here's another question that Google, it's, it's not going to be on the screen, but the question, why are Komodo dragons endangered? Now, why, why are they endangered? We want to know this, don't we? Well, if you were to ask Google that question, not anymore, but recently Google highlighted a specific answer. It was in one of these featured snippet boxes, and it said the reason that Komodo dragons are endangered is because volcanoes, fire, and tourism. Hmm. Now, the source that Google was drawing from was a sixth graders elementary school report. <laughs> And I'm not sure that tried and true knowledge and wisdom flows freely from sixth graders or, or, for that matter, others whose thoughts fill up the Internet that Google is drawing from to come up with these featured snippets. In fact, when you look into it, uh, Komodo dragons, by the way, they're not endangered. Okay, <laughs> It's a faulty question to begin with. That's, that's not even a problem. I looked into it. I was like, no, there, there's no... There's no issue, but depending on what, what question you ask, you're going to get an answer. And so what we don't often realize is that search engines can be drawing from inaccurate information. And our, you know, we're living in a day that is just full access to unlimited information. We need to check our sources because many times this stuff on the web is, is we take that as, or we can take that as a truth claim. Like this is the truth. Now, interestingly enough, the carols of this season are packed full of truth, aren't they? They're packed full of truth, the Christmas carols. And a lot of folks don't, don't bother to check the sources on this stuff that, that they're singing. But, but it sure is like broadcast through our airwaves right now, through the, through the radio, through the, through the TV, through commercials, in the, in the shopping mall. It's Christmas carols galore, you know, and you walk through and the... the, the in the, the gospel of Jesus Christ is spreading. The truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ is spreading right now. The things that I preach about regularly, it's spreading. This is the season where it's just... And, and a lot of folks are singing these songs. They're not checking their sources, but they're singing these songs. And I, I want you to think about the carols themselves. I want to, we have a montage of some clips with some being sung by some famous entertainers. Okay, Now, these are truth claims. I want you to think about the, the lyrics of these, of these carols. You wish you had a voice like this, right? 
I do. Can't pull it off. songs are woven right into the fabric of our society people famous entertainers are singing these truth claims right i mean joy to the world you know he rules the world people are actually singing that jesus rules the world he deserves honor and glory we give glory to the newborn king hark the herald angels sing Nat king cole singing about jesus is the king he's the one that brings peace and reconciles sinful humanity with god the temptations are singing about Silent night, something powerful and holy happened on that night. Heaven and earth collided when Jesus came to earth. You have Elvis, the king, you know. The hopes and fears of all of the years, think about that, are met in Jesus. Now, why is it that these songs have stuck? All around, you know, they're, they're going to be played. Even though our world has pretty much... You know, dropped and is not recognizing the value of following Jesus. So far, these songs have songs have really stuck with us. Our culture kind of dusts them off each, you know, season and, and begins to play them. And here's why. And I, w- I want to ask you to take out this listening guide. It's because long-awaited hopes were fulfilled in Jesus. We're going to look at a passage of scripture. The arrival of Jesus marked. The turning point in human history, like a spotlight that drew all eyes, Jesus' birth, his life, his ministry, his, his death, his resurrection, it has marked, it's marked our world. And so we're going to continue to look at a passage of scripture that proclaimed his coming. From the book of Isaiah, this is a prophetic book. It foretold the coming of the Savior of the world. And God spoke through this prophet hundreds of years before Jesus would be born. To a group of people who had been dominated and uh, devastated by the Assyrians, and now they're gearing up to be uh, dominated again by the Babylonians, a stronger force who's about to come in, invade them, and exile them to Babylon. And so the prophet 
he's speaking to this group of people who that group they were looking God's people were looking for a leader who would restore them who would give them their kind of rights and hopes back restore their hopes because many felt like their freedoms had been stripped from them and so God is speaking with confident language and he's painting a bright a picture of a bright future a lot of these prophetic books it's like they are artists the the prophets God was using them to speak and to give people imagery that would stick in their mind about things that were coming in the future. Promises that God was making to his people so that people would get this, these, these ideas of what God was doing in the world. And it gave them something to pass on to the next generation, the next generation. And these prophetic messages, these, these words of hope would be kind of lodged in people's minds. And the intention was so that as people learned the scriptures when these things began to come to pass, they would say, ah, I've heard that before. This actually is it's not accidental. This has, I think I read about that. Matter of fact, I, I, was, I was told about that. And so words of prophecy, books of prophecy, are very, very important ways that we learn to verify God's power. We can check the source in a sense. So look at Isaiah chapter 42, verses 8 and 9. We're going to start with the the two verses that come near the end of that passage that's on your listening guide. We're going to read that, and then we're going to flip to the New Testament where this passage is referenced. And then we'll move back to Isaiah. Isaiah 42, verse 8, it says, I am the Lord. That is my name. God is speaking to his people, and he's declaring, look, this is, this is the Lord. He's using his, his title here. The reason is because when anyone makes a bold and confident statement or gives us a promise, we typically say, well, who is this? Like, can I really trust you? And so God puts the full weight of his personal name behind what he's saying. This is, this is the Lord, okay? And I will, give not, I will not give my glory to another or praise to idols. God's not going to share glory and honor with others. He alone is the true covenant-keeping God. Verse 9, it says this. See, the former things have taken place. God this is not the first prophetic word. So basically, in light of all that God has said would happen, you know, and all that I've done among you, then he says, and new things I declare, behold, before, before they spring into being, I announce them to you. Everything I told you would happen has happened. And once again, everything here that I'm declaring to you, it will certainly happen. He's making a bold statement as the Lord now, do you, do you know anyone who can make that claim? Look, count on it. It's going to happen. Like if someone says to me, Josh, trust me, I'll be there. Trust me, I'll be there. I'll be there at this place at this time. Who do you know who can say with complete confidence, you know, yeah, I'm going I'm to pull this off. I mean, none of us are perfect. Who would you be able to say with confidence that the hopes and the fears of all the years are met in them, they're going to bring it about. No, no other God can foretell such things. No idol, no statue. No one else can tell the, the future and fulfill promises entirely. And as we read the Bible, we see this pattern. We looked at this last week, and I want to comment on it again. You may want to jot this down because it's very, very important. Fulfilled prophecy is God's chosen method of self-authentication. This is, this is very important to understand, that fulfilled prophecy is God's chosen method of self-authentication. 
He would communicate the future to his people before it happened, and then he would verify it. You know, it, it would come to pass, and when it came to pass, it would it would verify that he was the Almighty God. He could be trusted. Uh, fulfilled prophecy is unique in that way. With future events, there aren't many options. If you think about prophecy, there's not many options. You either get it right and it's verified, and you're proven true as a prophet, or your word is true, truthful, it's faithful, or it's debunked, and it's, it's you are proven false, or you're still waiting for it to happen. And so not many options with prophecy. With the Old Testament prophecies, like this one in Isaiah 42, you have prophecies given hundreds of years before their fulfillment through different prophets, many of them pointing towards the coming Messiah, the Savior, with very specific details about his birth, his manner of life, you know, just the, the, the occasion, the surroundings, culturally what was going on in the world, and on and on. The tribe he would be born into. And this particular prophecy from Isaiah 42 is quoted by Matthew. And so Matthew, he was a Jewish tax collector. And if you brought your Bible, flip to Matthew chapter 12 for a moment and maybe put a placeholder in Isaiah. But in Matthew chapter 12, the religious leaders, they, they keep following Jesus around trying to find a way to trap Jesus in order to discredit his ministry if they could. The religious leaders, they knew the Old Testament scriptures very well. Like, they would have known this prophecy from Isaiah. And the, the, the issue with them is they were used to getting all of the attention and all the praise in the religious circles. And now Jesus was starting to gain a huge, huge following. And people were praising Jesus as if he was God. They were making all sorts of truth. There was... Major truth claims flying around about the identity of Jesus and who he really was. And so naturally, they've got a lot of questions about Jesus. And so they're trying to stump him. And at one point on a Sabbath day, they start pressing in and asking Jesus questions about the Sabbath. And they're trying to check Jesus' understanding of the Sabbath laws. Can you do this on the Sabbath? Can you do that on the Sabbath? And so at one point, they ask him a question. And he answers their question logically. And then he walks away. And they're like this. Drats. And so they, they follow him, and Jesus, he, he walks, and he heads into a synagogue, which is a Jewish uh, gathering place, a place where people would pray. And he walks into the Jewish synagogue, and he sees a man there with a shriveled hand. And Jesus moves towards that man, and the religious leaders are watching him very closely, and they want to see, what is he going to do? And they ask Jesus the question. Before he does anything, they say, Jesus, is it lawful? Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And, and here's Jesus' answer. See, he said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? He said, if your animal gets sick, won't you, will you wait till the next day or are you going to lift it out of the pit? And they're trying to trap him. Jesus, you're going to work. You're going to do work on the day of rest. That's, and, and so then in verse 12 he says, how much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Verse 13, then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And so he stretched out, he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. And what this did was it ticked off the religious leaders. It ticked them off because not only did he heal, and he, 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 in their minds, he worked on the Sabbath. Not only did he do that. More than that, they were angry because Jesus had the power to heal, unlike anyone they'd ever seen. And that and they're now look at what happens, verse fourteen. But the Pharisees they went out and they conspired against him how to destroy him. The, the, 
this just raised the game stakes, and they're, they're trying to figure out, they're plotting now, how can we take them out? And then verse 15, Jesus, aware of this, he withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all, and he ordered them not to make him known. Now, religious leaders, they wanted to take him out. Meanwhile, the crowds, more and more people are pressing in, trying to bring their sick friends and their relatives to Jesus. Hurting people are coming to Jesus so they could be healed, and he's healing. And he's healing. And he's healing. And he answers in his ministry, he's answering all of the hopes, all of the fears, all of the concerns of that society. And Matthew, who is watching all this unfold, he's observing the ministry of Jesus. And it's like God reaches into his mind and pulls up a a memory. And Matthew goes, wait a second. I know what's happening here. Because a picture had been painted in his mind from the past. He'd read Isaiah's prophecy. He he was familiar with the Old Testament. And this was spoken about to God's people through the prophet. And it was like God called it up in his mind in this moment. And he wrote down, then verse 17, he says, This, all of this stuff, but this was to fulfill, all that's going on was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. And then he launches into Isaiah 42, and he quotes it. So if you look at your Bible, I... Matthew 12, verse 18 through 21, is a direct quote from Isaiah chapter 42. None of this is by accident. And, and Matthew recognizes. Because for Jesus, and this is why, why we sing about him in this season, this is why he has, you know, it, his impact is, is, is so broad and it's just far-reaching. No one will ever forget Jesus. In human history, God's grace has has come to the earth. And Matthew is saying, right now, through Jesus, God is fulfilling a promise that he gave to our people 700 years ago. And I can just imagine, Matthew's probably jumping up and down saying, he did it again, he did it. Our God is faithful. He keeps his promises. He's done it again. Because fulfilled prophecy is one of the key ways that God proves himself to us. He proves his power to us. And so now, what does Isaiah actually say? Let's look at, flip back. You can see there, Matthew 12, 18 through 21, that that matches Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 4. So look at, look at from the Old Testament, Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 4. Again, this is a passage. I want to comment on a few of the, the points here. As the nation is heading into captivity, and they're about to, to be the prophecy is, has already come to them that, that the Babylonians will, will take them over and carry them off into captivity. And so that's the context of when uh, this is, is going on in history. So verse 1, Isaiah says, writes, Here is my servant who, I'm, who I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him. This is a prophecy about the Messiah, about the Savior. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. And it says, in faithfulness he will bring forth justice. Now Jesus, he would bring justice. He would fulfill this, which is, you know, justice is what they desperately wanted after being dominated in the past and really are nervous now about their national security. This group of people was very concerned about their safety. But this prophecy highlights a person whose methods weren't what people you know, expected, but whose impact they all really wanted. Now, now, this is what was going on. Jesus displayed God's heart for justice. That's what this 
prophecy about the Messiah is about. It's about a person who would come and put on display God's care for people, God's heart for justice. But he accomplished this as a servant. They wanted the Messiah, their Savior, to be one who would bring the fire of heaven down on those who dominated them. They wanted him to rule by the sword. But his approach was far different, which explains why the, there was so much struggle for people to accept who Jesus was. But the Spirit of God, the pastor says the Spirit of God rested on him. He had all the power because he was God. He was able to pull it off. But he was gentle. He was meek. He was humble in his approach. Look at verse 3. Verse 3, it says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Now, all around, all around Jesus was, Jesus was attracting people who were broken and who in their lives were about to burn out. Some were the crowds, and they were, they, were, they were hurting. They were struggling. They were dealing with things. Some were the religious leaders. You know, they, they were prideful. They were confused. They were disappointed. Uh, but what Jesus doesn't do is he doesn't start stepping on people. He doesn't step on the religious leaders. He doesn't step on the crowds who are needing his help and healing. Instead, he considers ways to reach out to those who are hurting and who are bruised in life. Have you ever been in a field? Look at the imagery of this passage. A bruised reed he will not break. Have you ever been in a field of dry weeds and grass and reeds and, you're, and you, tr- you, you, know, you kind of run through the field? I don't know if you've ever done this, but I, I've run through fields before. And uh, you're, breaking, you know, you're breaking things. If they're, if they're dried out, then those reeds are going to break. Okay? You're tempted once you see a broken reed to what? To, to rip it out and, you know, if you're a kid. I'm, I'm not, I don't do this often okay you're trying to imagine me running through a field i know so (laughs) i don't do this often but you know you might break those reeds off and start playing with the reeds and blowing in the wind or doing whatever but the imagery here is is very hopeful people are like broken reeds you get you get broken in life and the picture here is that he doesn't just go and snap those who are broken and discard them he's he is into repairing he is into mending what can be restored? Because people matter to God. People are, are you know, the, the, in, the, in, the, in Genesis you see humans are, are the culminating act in creation. People matter to God. And so Jesus, he puts God's heart on display for people to see. And so we are called to care for broken and hurting people. And, you know, that's all of us. At a different level, that's all of us. It says a smoldering wick he, he will not snuff out. When something is burning out or some, when someone is burning out and it's like they're, they're barely holding on in the smoke, they're just, it's barely lit, you know, you could, you could just, you know, maybe God will just put us out, just put us out of our pain. He's saying he, he doesn't do that. He actually is into repairing. He's a breathing life. It's, this is why it matters so much for our Christmas offering that we participate in things that are making a difference in our world, in, in things that bring hope and justice to people. Uh, the, the aspect of Rebirth Homes, I want to pull up this slide. Rebirth Homes, one of the several partners that we're giving to in our Christmas offering, they exist to come alongside human trafficking victims and help them discover their identity in Christ and, and experience transformation. Last Christmas offering, we helped support them with about $8,000 through our Christmas offering. They're locally here in the area. They've built... Uh, home to house uh, ladies who 
were being exploited and who were victims of, of human trafficking, and they're helping them recover. It's several years of, of, uh, of restoration, but we, along with several churches in our community, are helping to support this ministry. Our offering is helping with this. Another thing that we're helping with is Path of Life Ministries. Uh, there's a homelessness problem here in, in Riverside, as there are in most every city in Southern California and many parts of our country. This is a ministry that's committed to serving the greater Riverside homeless population and the poor with the goal to rescue, restore, and rebuild lives in our community. Sometimes you want to know, what, what can I do? There are so many needs and there are so many people asking for help. What can I do? Well, one of the things we can do is we can, we can partner with ministries that are um, making a difference in our community. And this is one of the ministries that the churches in Riverside are trying to support together. And we pull our resources together with local churches to be a help uh, to Path of Life. One of the men in our church went to check it out because uh, he wanted to get a closer look at what this would go towards. And he said, you know, Josh, this is not just uh, the homeless problem here. It's so tied to uh, the economy, so tied to job loss, uh, just uh, traumatic experiences people face in life, relationship breaks in their life, and it just it, it, it can snowball. And people can begin to really lose hope. And so... Uh, this ministry is doing what they can to help people redevelop their job skills, uh, caught, get caught up on some things. And for those that, are, that really desire to uh, reinsert themselves into the workforce and, and get back on their feet, it helps with that process. They have a, a, a career track that they're really working uh, to help people. So this is something that we can help with. Part of our Christmas offering will go towards these two ministries along with several others. But it really is it's job loss, it's, it's relationship loss, it's sexual exploitation, it's, it's temptation, it's marriage trouble, it's sin. All of these different issues in life can break us. They can cause us to really burn out. And then people come alongside and can do further damage. And so we want to be part of restoring people. We want to be a part of the change that God wants to bring. Look at verses 4 through 6. It says about God, about, or about the Messiah, he will not falter. He will not falter or be discouraged until he establishes justice on earth. Once he gets involved, the Messiah, Jesus fulfills this. He, he's going to complete the work, and that, that's encouraging. We serve a God who will not fail. He, he will never be discouraged. You know, we, we're feeble, we're weak, but he will not fail. Once he, what that means is if he begins in you, he will not take back his hand. He's going to complete his work in you. It says that in... His law, the islands will put their hope. What this is you know, referring to is the impact of our Savior will have a far-reaching scope. Verse 5, this is what the Lord God, the, what God the Lord says, He who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who, to those who walk on it, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. The impact of Jesus, the Messiah, would would reach further and further out and would light very dark places. And the reality is nothing will block light, you know, his light, from reaching even the darkest places. Now the reason is because God has all of the power. That's what the passage is saying. This is the God who made the heavens and the earth. He gave us life. He gave us breath. He will not be stopped. And so this message must go out beyond this place. It must keep impacting, which is why the 
Now, another focus of our Christmas offering is to participate in church planting and to support missionaries who live far from here. Uh, we, we hope to partner with another church from our network that is starting in North Montana. We have a video to show you because we have people here in Southern California who live in spiritual darkness. And there's people who live all across this globe, again, in spiritual darkness. And we want to be a part of helping to plant new churches and to send people who will go to start new churches and share our faith. So here's a video of Alex Barrett sharing about the opportunity that we have to partner with him in helping to get a new church started next year in the North Montana region. It's growing. Hi, my name is Alex Barrett, and I'm married to my wife, Samantha. We have three kids. And next summer, uh, 2018, we're going to be starting a new church in North Montana. About seven years ago, I sensed God calling me to plant a church. And over the last seven years, it's been really fun to see God lead us to this point. Uh, we were able to be a part of helping grow Church in the Valley. We were a part of a new campus launch in Alhambra, outside of Los Angeles. And what I've seen God do over the last seven years is really prepare us uh, for this point, and that is to get ready to launch this new church. As we were looking at different areas to start a church in, uh, we really wanted to be a, in an area that was growing. I wanted to be a part of also an area within the Inland Empire so we could connect to the churches within the 17.6 network that we've worked with. Uh, there's actually so much growth happening in the Inland Empire because of affordable housing and because of where it's located. So many people are, are deciding to live here. So this is uh, North Montana, and uh, it's right at the foot of Mount Baldy, which you see uh, straight ahead there. But uh, in, the, in the foreground is vacant land. And you see this in different parts of the city. And uh, there's a part of just the expansion where new homes are built just right here. So, you know, if the Lord wills it, we're hoping to get kind of right in this area where we could be a part of uh, the new growth. In North Montana in the next five years, it's going to actually be growing over 7%. What that represents is tremendous opportunity. People are moving here. They're trying to start a new life. And so we want to start this new church in the middle of that growth. And our hope has always been to go to a city, to a place that's not yet what it will be. Because if you can start a church in that moment that you get to be a part of its growth, you get to be a part of its story. So as you can see, here is a uh, brand new home development. When I first came to check out this area, this community, this KB home development, had three homes. And as you can see, uh, it's expanded. And so this is the foyer to the community center right in the heart of North Montana. Uh, we are actually on the wait list to meet here. So that's something that you guys can pray for. It's God's will that this could be the location. This is a location right in the heart of where the growth is going to be. Yeah. There's over 23 million people in Southern California, and many millions of those have yet to commit their lives to follow Christ. And so we want to be a part of starting new churches so people can discover uh, the way that they can actually find hope in life and to escape the darkness that plagues all of us without knowing God. So uh, we want to be a light uh, in this area. And we want to be a part of helping families uh, learn what it means to connect with God and walk in Him and to really experience the life that He wants them uh, to have. Uh, there are many things yet to, to be discovered. We don't yet know where we're going to have our services. We don't yet know where we're going to live. We don't even fully yet know the launch team. And so if you could pray for those specific things, we'll find a place for us to meet as a church. We'll find a 
place for us to live here in this new community and that God will really raise up the team that he wants to be a part of this new church plan. Uh, we're really excited to see what God will do. We know that he is going to provide. It's time now for us to begin uh, this new work. So, so thank you, OCC, for the prayers so far. And I know that you guys will continue to pray for us. And we really appreciate that. And thank you so much as well for your financial support and being willing to come alongside us as we start this new work that God directed us to do. You know, 10 years ago, uh, this church didn't exist. Uh, we, we, we researched all sorts of cities, and the Lord led us to move our family to Riverside to plant this church. There was a lot of new growth and a lot of people moving to this area. And when people move, and especially when there's new developments in a city, it kind of represents for people a fresh start. You know, when people move, they, they think, okay, I'm going to start fresh. I'm going to change some things. But, but if you don't address the spiritual issue in a person, then it's like you wrap a Band-Aid around, you know, and a fresh start and the hope of a fresh start is not enough. It, it, it's like that bruised reed. We want to be a part of restoration and bring uh, light to those who are spiritually in darkness. And so our opportunity to support and be part of the North Fontana church plant, uh, it, it's, I'm, I'm excited that we're able to be in this at the, from the ground level, to be able to send teams, to be able to give to it through our offering and even through our budgeted money next year. We've worked it in our church's budget for next year to support them because when we were starting, we had all sorts of churches and individuals supporting us from the outside just so we could get off the ground. And so pray for them. Pray for Alex and Samantha and this effort. If you think even further out, though, the, dark, the, the, the darkness, you know, we want to bring light to the darkness locally, but we want to bring also the light to the darkness across the world. Internationally, there's all sorts of opportunities. And so we have a video highlighting the International Mission Board and their efforts that they're making to, to send missionaries into uh, remote places and to places that uh, people don't know about Jesus Christ and what he's done for them. And so here's a video highlighting the IMB's efforts. Hey! 
So the International Mission Board, we, we have an opportunity along with 45,000 other Southern Baptist churches to support about 3,500 plus career full-time missionaries who live and serve the Lord um, around the world. This is our opportunity to support and really to help. This, this major Christmas offering through the International Mission Board is, is the main push to support um, our denomination's full-time missionaries. And um, so it's, it's a great opportunity. It makes a huge difference. As a matter of fact, this morning in first service, we had some IMB missionaries who were here with us uh, for service. And why do we do this? Because of this. Look at verse 7 from Isaiah. It's because the Messiah has come to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I, I'm so thankful for this, because this, I, I, I was spiritually dark. You were spiritually dark. You, you know, you don't, you're not born right with God. <laughs> you're born into a, into a world, and you experience immediately the effects and the curse of sin, and that needs to be uh, dealt with. And Jesus has dealt with that. And so I, I'm so thankful. And so, what response do we have apart from you know, joy to the world? Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. It's an opportunity for us to proclaim that, not just in this season, but through our lives and through our church. God himself has come to earth in the person of Jesus, and he's come to those who are sad. He's come to those who are down and hopeless. He's come to those who can't get out of the prison of their bad habits. For those who can't kind of shake off the chains of sin, Jesus has come to liberate us and to set captives free to open the prison cells of sin and so as we kind of shift gears and invite our worship team to join us would you consider being a part of the solution think through what what are what are your next steps as you head into further into the christmas season what is god asking you to do so that it's not just christmas business as usual but so that we would consider god how would you use me to join in your in your purposes to make an eternal difference in this world, to bring light into the darkness. A couple of next steps I want to highlight. The first is, would you consider taking action on the extra giving opportunity for our Christmas offering? This is a time of gracious generosity, and it gives us a chance to give back out of our love for God. Would you pray about what you can do above and beyond your regular giving? If you're part of a family, spend some time thinking through that in the next week and in we're, we're going to be receiving this offering through the end of next month. and so. But just be praying through this. Take action if you're ready to do that. Second, invite a guest to our family Christmas service. If you're in town, we would love for you to be here next week and then the following week. But next week, would you capitalize on the opportunity to share the light of Jesus with those in your life you, that you know are in spiritual darkness? Uh, I want to pray and wrap up our time. Father, thank you for your love and your kindness to us. Lord, thank you for keeping your word. Thank you for sending your servant, Jesus. Do you open the, uh, the eyes of the blind to bring light into darkness, to set captives free? Lord, thank you for how you've met our deepest spiritual needs. God, we pray that we would look uh, 
beyond just our own lives, our own families, our own agendas, and be about your kingdom. Lord, help us to grow more of a heart for what matters to you. God, the things of this world, they're, they're so, they get such a grip on us, and it's hard to see past them. So, Father, I pray you'd raise our sights, lift our eyes above the things that have captivated us that maybe you care very little about. God, help us to have generous hearts. Help us to be a generous church. And Lord, help us to keep growing in generosity. Keep us on the edge, Lord, of faith as we as we walk forward as a team. We don't want to just live for ourselves. We don't want to just exist for our own growth. And it's not, it's not about us here. And so, God, as we've experienced your goodness and your blessing, Lord, help us to keep getting on the edge of sacrifice here in order to look at your heart for reaching out further. Lord, help us to be a part of these efforts. And we, we praise you, God, for, uh, for speaking through your words. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you've been encouraged by the message and equipped to move forward in obedience to God's word. Join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast.